I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. She's a physician encouraging the medical field to think outside the box by applying design thinking to their daily practice. She founded the InWell Conference, happening this December in San Francisco. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. I want to just tell you, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And I'm so thrilled to be talking with you about all the things happening in San Francisco that you're, you have your hands involved in. Wow. Well, thank you for the amazing invitation. It's an honor to be with you. How did you become interested in improving end of life for seriously ill patients? Because you're young. You're, I think you're about 10 years younger than me. And I believe you're helping the generation X people push this through when it comes to applying creativity, design to this whole sort of subject that no one wants to talk about. So what made you interested? You know, I really didn't set out to be an advocate for palliative care for, you know, improving the end of life experience. But I I found myself in several situations really early on during my residency training um, that kind of led me down this path. You know, I, I would say that during medical school, so so earlier on, I had no idea uh, about palliative care. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, wh- why would anyone, why would any doctor go into that field? I, our job as physicians is to cure people, to make them better. Um, you know, what, what, what does it mean for a doctor to focus on, um, people who may not (laughs) get better or or who are dying? Um, it didn't, it didn't make any sense to me until I was spending month after month in the ICU as an intern. So a first year resident. And I saw so many really frail, often elderly patients with, you know, maybe five chronic medical problems on top of end-stage kidney disease, end-stage heart disease, or maybe, you know, advanced cancer. And they were being admitted to the ICU um, despite the fact that nothing that we were going to do for them was going to really help them or reverse their underlying condition. And I realized that, you know, they were spending their last moments of life probably suffering, really hidden away from people they loved. And I found myself in a lot of moral distress about that. And I then realized from talking to colleagues around the country who were in the same you know types of training programs that I was, that this wasn't just going on at our hospital. This was kind of the default thing that we do in this country. Um, you know, we, you will receive by default, you know, aggressive invasive care, no matter how old you are, or no matter how many underlying medical problems that you have, unless you really, you know, loudly opt out. Um, we know that, you know, 80% of people say they want to die at home, but only 20% actually do. And the rest are dying in nursing homes or hospitals other kinds of facilities. Um, and we know that around 30% of, of people spend days in the ICU before they die. 
so that's that to me is a failure of our system. I think, you know, uh, we're, we're truly failing our patients in many ways. And I, I sort of became interested in another way of caring for people, sort of another philosophy. And that's um, based around palliative care. So care that really focuses on improving the quality of life for people who are seriously ill with a focus on their goals and their values, because to me, that's what it's all about. So why do you think that individuals, even though the percentage of people that want to die at home, it, it's the reverse, they're dying in the hospitals, but they, the studies say they do, you know, a large majority, 70% do want to die at home, but only 20% or so do. I mean, why do you think as a practicing clinician that is? Well, you know, it's, I think it's honestly, because that's how we, you know, in this country practice medicine, you know, the people aren't having upstream conversations about what, what they truly want out of their life and therefore what they truly want out of, you know, their, maybe the care that they're going to receive, uh, if, if they're sick. I think when I, you know, when I say that we're kind of failing our patients, I think that there are several missed opportunities along the way where healthcare providers are, you know, touching their patients, reaching their patients and not having open, honest discussions about, you know, prognosis about what's important to people. And we're sort of continuing on this trajectory of, you know, doing more things to people. We're unfortunately in our system incentivized financially to do more to people. And so I think that while physicians aren't necessarily thinking in the back of their minds, oh, well, I'm gonna do more because I get paid more. It is sort of culturally how we practice medicine in this country. I think the medical culture when it comes to the patient, but I, you cannot exclude the clinician. They're working in a system um, for the betterment, but they're just as stuck as the patient themselves. I think both sides are really struggling to meet all the goals when it does come to patient-centered care. And I, I, I think the clinicians are doing the best they can under extreme um, expectations when it comes to productivity, documentation. Um, they didn't get in the field to do all of that. They get it, got in the field to help people. And I, I feel like both sides are losing. Both sides are absolutely losing. I think you're kind, but I do think we can do, as in we, uh, as in healthcare providers, we can do a whole lot better than we're doing. You, you are a practicing clinician. Where do you practice? I practice hospital medicine at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco. I trained in internal medicine uh, here in San Francisco and um, returned to uh, the teaching uh, faculty a couple of years back. And uh, I love, I, I work about five minutes from where I live and it's fantastic. But you're also the director of the Unger Leiter Palliative Care Education Fund. Am I pronouncing that right? You got it. And this is, happens to be your last name. Indeed. <laughs> I mean, why create a, a palliative care educational fund and, and what is this doing? You know, I, when I finished residency, um, I knew from my own experience that there were many gaps in the education that, um, that I received, that my you know, fellow residents received in palliative care. And I strongly believe that no matter what field of medicine that you go into, that having a basic competence in, in palliative medicine is really critical. So when I finished uh, training, we were able to give 
uh, a grant to the hospital in, in order to um, create a comprehensive palliative care education program for the residents. And our program starts in the first year of residency. So brand new doctors are coming into the program and receiving uh, training, not only focused on palliative medicine fundamentals, but also on communication skills. Uh, we were really fortunate to be able to partner with our hospital's health psychology department and teach communication skills to all of our residents. Um, I think this is key so that they feel confident, you know, when having to discuss difficult topics like goals of care discussions, you know, breaking bad, bad news, um, talking about prognosis, um, because I think that no matter what field of medicine uh, that they end up in, these, these skills will be hugely helpful. And then we also focus on physician wellness as a part of our curriculum. You know, the, the rates of depression, substance abuse, um, burnout, and, and even suicidality are, are really astronomically high within the medical profession. And so we want to talk openly uh, about this with our residents and focus on doing what we can to prevent it. And um, I will say our program uh, at, at CPMC has been very well received uh, by all the, the residents and the faculty in the, the last three years since it started. Um, we actually had not one, but two residents go into Palliative Care Fellowship for the very first time in the history of our program. So I was so encouraged uh, to see this. I really feel like from an institutional perspective, things are really changing. Well, what's what's really blows my mind is that this lecture series that you're doing for residents, you have opened it up on Facebook, not only to affect the residents in San Francisco, but the United States, the world. And I, I was I recently was on Facebook watching one of your speakers, and you you want to go beyond just San Francisco. You know, why are you interested in exploring these out of the box ways of thinking? Well, you know. <laughs> To me, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I'm outside the box. I think you know. It's it, to me. It's about keeping patients and their families at the center of of the conversation when we talk about creating whether it's a new product or a service or rethinking a system. Um, I'm not so sure that's outside the box. I really. I'd actually invite everybody to move outside the box if if that's you know what what it means. I I think that I really want to see. Um, Patients getting care that's in their in you know it's in line with their goals and their values. To me, that's that's good medicine. Whether we're talking about the end of life experience or you know anything else inside of uh, inside of medicine. So you were a part of Extremis that featured Jessica Zeter, a friend of both of ours, and it was up for an Oscar for best short films. I mean, how did this project even evolve, and how did you get involved with this project? You know, Extremis fell in my lap. It's just a crazy thing. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Jessica and I are, are good friends uh, and colleagues. And uh, she mentioned to me one day in passing that they had been shooting a, a documentary uh, in the ICU at Highland Hospital in Oakland, where she works. And I, you know, said, wow, that sounds amazing. Let's, I'd love to hear more. And so when she connected me uh, with our director, Dan Krause, he sent me about a five-minute rough cut, and I knew that uh, after seeing that just short amount of footage that he had captured something really powerful, and I, I've often felt that, you know, if people could see behind that 
very opaque curtain of what it's like to be sick in the ICU or to have a family member ill, um, then people might have a, a, a better sense of what that looks like and be able to make more informed decisions about their own choices for, the, for their care. And I think, again, it comes, comes back to, to making sure that patients receive the care that they really want uh, in line with their goals and their values of how they want to live their lives. So it, it was just one of these, um, you know, interesting connections. And I, I uh, you know, was very happy to, to help support the film. We originally, you know, had no idea that obviously going in, we would be able to have the reach that, that we had. And I think it was sort of the perfect storm of, of Netflix being interested in short documentaries last year. Um, buying ours as the very first one and then it just kind of you know went from there so it was a, a really exciting um, project to be a part of so you never in your life thought you'd be nominated for an oscar for being executive producer of a short documentary on netflix no way no way i, yeah, I, I right? guess i guess i should say technically <laughs> i was a major funder um the the team at netflix got the executive producer uh, credits there, but we, you know, everybody, um, was, was a part of the team and, and did their, did their parts to create a very successful, uh, really fantastic film. Did you get to walk the red carpet for the Oscars? I did. Did that blow your mind or what? Yes, that's exactly what it did. It was, uh, so overwhelming and incredible. Um, it was, you know, never in a million years did I think that, I would, you know, be showing up at the Oscars to support a film <laughs> that I was a part of, you know. I think the compassion that it comes across, it shows the dilemma of clinicians trying to make the best decisions, but families who don't know what they don't know tend to prolong suffering um, un unknowingly. Um, it was such a, a I, I just applaud you for seeing the value. And um, gosh, and this is what your palliative care educational fund is doing is supporting these out of the box ways to communicate with the community about end of life issues. You were also a huge part of creating a design challenge through IDEO around death and dying, correct? Yeah, um, you know, IDEO was actually um, very interested in this topic even before our open IDEO design challenge happened. And I would, you know, credit the thought leadership of BJ Miller and their IDEO's chief creative officer, Paul Bennett, um, who, you know, were very interested in this topic uh, many years back. And I think we were fortunate in that the stars kind of aligned um, such that um, the open IDEO, um, the design challenge arm of their firm was really excited about looking at this particular topic of, of how can we reimagine the end of life experience for patients and their families. And we were very lucky to be able to partner alongside Sutter Health Hospital um, and healthcare organization out here in Northern California um, to be able to fund this project. And, you know, I have to tell you as a clinician, somebody who's used to just, you know, taking care of patients, being in the hospital as I am, um, I learned so much about design thinking. Um, I never thought I would use so many sticky notes in my life <laughs> as we did during those planning sessions. Um, but it was such an amazing experience. It sort of turned everything that I thought I knew 
or thought about the system on its head, um, which is, I think is the power of design thinking. And we just had a fantastic response from, from the world. Honestly, thousands of people um, engaged in this conversation from all walks of life. And it was just uh, so exciting to be a part of. It was exciting to see it happening. And, and Tim Brown inspired my even title, Death by Design, because he wrote a book called Change by Design. And I just knew that design thinking was the future. And, and how do we apply this to a subject that no one wants to talk about? And how can we make it attractive that, and, and realize and take the fear out that we're all, we're all going to face this experience one day and it's not just a destination, but how can we make this an experience that is that is that it's a good one, whether it's a clinical perspective, a patient perspective, a caregiver perspective. You're a co-founder of probably one of the most innovative conferences that I have seen coming about called InWell. It's an inwellproject.org, but you, this is happening this December. So what is the thinking behind getting all these creatives, all these clinicians in the same room? So how did that evolve? Well, it, it evolved originally out of an offshoot of our uh, palliative care education program for the residents. So we actually have a quarterly evening lecture series where um, a number of interested community members as well as our um, uh, faculty at the hospital and students and other um, and other folks come and hear from experts either from within the community or, you know, we fly in people from time to time to speak on topics related to palliative care. And our, our dream um, many years ago when that was started was to actually do a national symposium um, looking at um, this particular topic. And so, you know, Endwell is really a first of its kind um, convening to, to bring together uh, the worlds of design, um, technology, healthcare, and and a- activist communities, really, with the goal of generating um, interdisciplinary, very human-centered innovation around the end of life experience. And we're expecting 400 attendees from all over the world, um, from different backgrounds all coming together to talk about what it means to live well until the very end. And we have about 20 incredible speakers lined up who will be delivering very fast-paced, engaging talks, something like a a TED style um, throughout the whole day on December 7th of this year um, with some art and, and music woven into the experience. Um, and it's here in San Francisco and our registration just went live a couple of weeks ago. So we're um, thrilled with the response so far. I'm just so thrilled to um, be able to come and to see this happening. Um, I, 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 I've been a part of conferences and end of life conferences um, and it's not a discredit, but they just seem dated and, and I'm not trying to, you know, blow a lot of smoke here. I've never seen the innovation um, in the lineup that is happening on December 7th. So if people are interested in being a part of this conference, they can go to inwellproject.org and sign up and see what's going on on that day, correct? That's right. And very soon we'll have some new updates to the program and the speaker lineup. Um, Yep. And also, you're still looking for sponsorships or has that closed? 
No, we're absolutely uh, looking for uh, other sponsorships. We have a number of, of foundations and individuals who are uh, supporting us, um, but absolutely we're, uh, you know, really uh, looking for other um individuals and groups who are, you know, really committed to, to driving what we see as a collective mission to transform the end of life experience. And, and all of that information is available um, via the website to reach out. And what are you hoping for that day? Does your attendance cap at 400? Or are you hoping for you know, more? This year or? being our inaugural event, it's a little bit of an experiment because, you know, as as we've said, it's this has not been done before. And so we, we do cap at 400 um, just based on the, the venue um, uh, limitations, but I anticipate, you know, going forward that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to open it up uh, to a much larger audience, assuming we get the uh, fantastic response that we've, we've had initially. Well, I think it's, I think it's going to sell out. I think it's going to sell out really quick. Are you going to stream some of this conference via Facebook or any other ways that somebody, some people can be involved or are you still in the discussion phase of that? You know, we really want to. I, I see this as something that I absolutely want everyone who wants to be there to be able to engage, um, of course, in person or virtually. So we're, we're in um, discussions about what that could look like um, streaming on the web. Um, so stay tuned for more. I think I definitely want to die in San Francisco because of all the innovation and the technology. Um, why do you think San Francisco is, and I'm, I'm, I will say it, leading the way when it comes to innovation applied to end of, end of life? Why do you think it's San Francisco? What's in the water there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I think, you know, maybe in San Francisco, we're, we're just very lucky to have an amazing group of institutions both within healthcare and outside, um, as well as healthcare providers. So physicians, nurses, social workers, chaplains, all, you know, working in the space of palliative care, of hospice, and then to have, you know, uh, designers like the the fantastic team at, at IDEO who really care about this topic, um, as well as some, some fantastic activated um, patients um, caregivers and lay public who want to to move this conversation forward. I just think you know we're we're very fortunate to have each other um, in in one place um, such that we can you know uh, get together for for support and collaboration around projects. Um, I just it's it's a very um, wonderful network that we have here. I believe there's what death over dinner something along those lines that you're working with as well um, that you're sponsoring? Yeah. So Michael Hebb um, and uh, his partner, Angel Grant started over dinner uh, several years back as an online platform for facilitating conversations uh, with family members, with friends, with, with colleagues or coworkers around um, the end of life experience. Um, it's the fantastic um, web-based platform and they are partnering with us for uh, End Well. We're doing um, a death over dinner event the night before our big symposium on December 6th. So anyone who um, signs up, registers for End Well, will have access to a much smaller experience with some of our speakers, with the End Well and death over dinner teams to come together for a really nice meal and to have uh, a death over dinner uh, discussion. 
and um, we're we're really excited to to work with them and um, have them be a part of this, you know, um, really uh, groundbreaking experience for people. So, if people are interested in the conference, it is in the well in well. Um, project.org, but also your educational fund, they can find that on your personal website. Uh, can you give us that address? My personal website is at uh, shoshanaungerleiter.com, or um, you can find us on Facebook at um, backslash uh, facebook.com backslash UPCEF. So that stands for Ungerleiter Palliative Care Education Fund. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page for Endwell. So as well, that's facebook.com um, slash Endwell Project. Again, if you're interested in this conference or the educational fund, or even participating in some of these lectures, like I said, they stream these right on Facebook. I just saw Carrie Egan the other week. Um, it was 8 o'clock p.m. my time, 5 o'clock your time, and it was such a cool experience to see her talk through this lecture series. So I really applaud you for using our technology to, to get the word out and allow people around the world to see very skilled and knowledgeable people when it comes to end of life. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about this conference and I'm excited about meeting you and um, keep doing good works. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you in December. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.